Welcome to another edition of the NHL Executive Suite. We are so pleased to have with us the general manager of the New York Islanders, which almost <laughs> sounds a little strange to say. But I have to say, when we first had the idea this summer to do this podcast, you were one of the first people that I wanted to have on. And I feel like we have so much to talk about, and there's so many things I want to ask you about. But I would say that you left the Devils in the spring of 2015. If I had told you even three or four years ago that between then and now, you would have gone to Toronto, been the general manager there for three years, revamped the roster, they're closer to contending for a Stanley Cup than they've been in a couple decades, and you've become a general manager of the Islanders who you used to compete against for almost 30 years, what would you have said? Same thing you're thinking. <laughs> I, I would not have believed it. So how did that happen? It's interesting. Uh, uh, when I left the Devils, uh, that was certainly something that uh, was not looked upon that I would probably do at any given time. Uh, Brendan Shanahan came to me and asked me, what do you think? And I said to him, uh, uh, and that's after he had asked permission from ownership uh, to speak to me. And I said, intriguing. That was the word. And before I knew it, I was the general manager of the Toronto Maple Leafs and spent three great years there. And the way the uh, contract was written, I was going to spend another five years there and uh, sort of a uh, consultant uh, role, uh, you know, and enjoying life maybe. Um, and then unbeknown to me, uh, Scott Malkin had spoken to uh, Larry Tannenbaum, the owner of the uh, Maple Leafs, and potentially having a conversation with me. And uh, that evidently transpired uh, during the playoffs uh, in Toronto. And uh, when Larry spoke to me and uh, Brendan spoke to me after the playoffs, uh, I really did not think of any interest uh, at that given time. We had just lost in the playoffs in Toronto. Um, and then the question came up again, so out of due respect, to uh, Scott Malkin, uh, you know, I, I did have a conversation, and here I am sitting here talking to you uh, <laughs> uh, as a New York Islander. How does that sound? How does it feel? How is it? Well, I, I think the first of all, the people have been just uh, outstanding to work with. Uh, uh, ownership has been tremendous. Uh, I really got to know and appreciate the success and why that Scott Malkin uh, is doing what he's doing, uh, and the vision that he has and the dream of putting a new facility here, which is so well needed. And as you well know, uh, you know, more than me, the history of this franchise and the uh, staple that it has, uh, it would be nothing better than a challenge to help resurrect it uh, to where it was in the past. And, and that's what we're trying to do. You can't say no to a challenge. Obviously. <laughs> <laughs> so... Toronto sort of takes us back, if we go back to the beginning, uh, because of the history with Johnny Bauer. Let's go back to Providence, and you played baseball as well as hockey. Which came first, and, and tell us about, about growing up in Providence. Well, first of all, that's like the chicken and the egg when it came to uh, the two sports, you know, baseball and hockey. Uh, my parents, uh, my dad, my, my mom, for whatever reason, wanted us uh, to be into sports uh, at an early age, and I started off, first of all, with Little League uh, at a very young age. Somehow, the, my uh, family was very much into hockey. At that day and age, you had the, only the American Hockey League. You had the six original teams, and uh, the Providence Reds were one of the premier uh, franchises. And uh, I was carried into games uh, 
you know, the Ryland Reds, watching them play. And somehow my uh, family had a relationship with some of the players, maybe because my mother cooked so well and <laughs> they were there for, you know, the Italian dinners. Uh, and, you know, just that, I, so I became entrenched in the game of hockey, but also baseball was, uh, during the season, was uh, just as involved as I was and played both sports uh, through high school, uh, both sports through college and so forth. So your mom was a good cook. Did she do the cooking or your dad had a restaurant, is that right? My father was in a fish business and uh, did have a restaurant uh, with that. He was in, they, the whole family was in uh, wholesale and retail fish. They actually had boats in Narragansett where the old days they went out with the fishing nets. So uh, I grew up on fish and uh, I'm still eating it. <laughs> um, but uh, the restaurant really was what attracted, I'm sure, a, a couple of the players at that given time. and. You know, relationships come about, and you know, before you know it, uh, you know, you're involved. So, who were the players that you admired, and what was that like for you to be a kid and have some of those? I'm sure they were sort of celebrities at the time come in, and you got to hang around with them. Well, what uh, happened was I ended up being uh, a stick boy. I just about could reach the doorknob of the uh, <laughs> locker room, and you know, going into it, and uh, you know, you had the, uh, sort of a little bit of. Uh, freedom or a luxury that, you know, other kids didn't have. And uh, uh, some of the players in those days, uh, you know, of course, Johnny Bauer was just, uh, you know, a special human being. And uh, his wife, Nancy, had stayed with uh, uh, my parents for a period of time when he came to uh, Providence to play. The first phone call I got when I went to Toronto was actually from Johnny Bauer. Uh, So these type of relationships, and that's all public knowledge. He put that in his book or... I really wouldn't speak of it. Um, and other people, you know, I could just go on and on uh, who had an effect on my life just watching what they did. You know, I was that little child that we see at the rinks today where my first, you know, pair of hockey gloves were wrapped in a newspaper so the player snuck it out the door so I could have it after the game or getting a stick around the corner. So um, I experienced all of that. So I can certainly appreciate, you know, what we all try and do these days to encourage uh, people to be involved in sports. I know how much of an impact it had on me. Do you see yourself sometimes then in the kids who are around the rink or want to watch or have their face pressed up against the glass? I would have to say so in, in some way. And uh, I was fortunate enough to be on the inside, you know, looking out more than the outside looking in. And, you know, also had impressionable people, uh, uh, you know, who taught me the good side. And also I think I learned from what I didn't like. Uh, uh, but uh, it was a, a tremendous experience. Uh, I actually travel with the team, not all the time, but uh, they allowed me to go. And uh, some of the great names, I remember being on a top bunk of Camille Henry uh, before he went up to the Rangers, uh, you know, in Providence. Uh, and then when I went through high school, certainly I was, we practiced at the same arena because there was only one arena at that time. Uh, and then the association remained. And then Actually, I went through college and uh, still stayed involved. So your family was almost like a billet family for Johnny Bauer. Was it his girlfriend at the time or his wife? It was his wife. It wasn't a billet. It was just a a relationship and friendship. I don't think they knew how long Johnny was going to be there. You know, so they, you know, they became friends and certainly remained that uh, for a good period of time. And he just passed away. Yes, he did. It was a very tough time. And, uh, you know, I relate Johnny to... Yogi Berra, who I had the good fortune 
to spend a lot of time with because of John McMullen and their relationship. Uh, they were the same. They were so humble. Uh, they were icons. And in fact, they had the, uh, in my opinion, something in common uh, that very few people can have. Uh, I don't know of anyone who has said a, said a bad word about Yogi Berra or Johnny Bala. What else did they have in common? Why else did you, what else did you see in them? Well, I, I saw a dedication to their profession. I mean, you're talking about two of the best to ever play the game, both uh, having that commitment to excellence and, you know, paying the price to do so. Um, I can remember a story about Johnny Bauer when uh, they were at the house and he was actually staying there and uh, he had a game the next day and he excused himself from the table about 8.30 uh, because he had a game the next day and walked up the stairs. That impression stays on me today. And, you know, watching Yogi... Uh, even when he retired, when he used to come to the practice facility and the way he worked out and the way he ate and the way he took care of himself, there was a reason uh, I used to tell him with that body, which uh, you'd never think could do the things he did in the game, uh, had so much success. So Yogi Berra was a catcher. You were a catcher, is that right, when you played? Were you, did you start as a catcher? Started as a catcher, uh, you know, and then played third base and played some outfield. So, you know, when you've... Uh, played baseball and depending upon what teams you're on and how they feel you can best serve uh, I like catching obviously because you're in control of what was going on no not you (laughs) (laughs) but uh, you know I I love the game of baseball I still do look back on some great years you got to a pretty high level though I mean you got to the Cape Cod League is that right we played I played in high school and then uh, went to college and played and then after my freshman year uh, we went down and played in the uh, Cape League, uh, which to me is one of the best uh, leagues. At that time, there were only three college leagues. There was the uh, uh, Canadian League, the Basin League, and the Cape Cod League. And uh, played with some great players uh, and, uh, you know, enjoyed it. Then went back, actually, and uh, uh, managed and, and coached in the Cape League uh, after that. So uh, uh, it was a great experience. Did you think that could have been your path? Well, I had an opportunity to go uh, during my senior year uh, in sign. Uh, that was probably one of the toughest decisions that I ever had to go through because I really don't know today why I didn't do that. There were a lot of factors involved. Uh, you know, that was back in uh, the end of 63, 64, and the Olympics of 64 were up, and Eddie Jeremiah had asked me to go to the Olympic tryouts for hockey. And if I had signed an NHL contract, excuse me, in a Major League Baseball contract, at that time it was with the Giants, uh, I would have been ineligible for, say, the Olympics. Uh, I went through a similar experience when I was in college, because uh, after my senior year, the uh, Providence Reds wanted to send me to New Haven to play in the Eastern League, and I couldn't do that because I would have been ineligible for baseball for the, that. So it was a whirlwind of why and why not, and... I still saved the contract today as a little, uh, you know, what would have been or what could have been. But uh, I have no regrets on any decisions that I've made. Uh, You go forward. Uh, But that was a trying year as far as decisions go. How much was the contract for? Was it a dollar value? It was a cup of coffee and a hamburger (laughs) (laughs) to go and play in the, uh, uh, you know, in A-ball. They wanted to send me to Springfield for the rest of the year, AAA, but just to be there. And then they were going to send me, you know, to the Carolina League uh, the next year, of course, uh, where everyone started and should start. 
I think in this day and age, uh, you know, no matter what professional athletes we have, when they sign, they want to get to the next level yesterday and don't want to pay the price. But I understood that and certainly understand it more today than I ever do. But uh, it was an intriguing time. Uh, it was a difficult time. I, I can remember it vividly. My parents left everything to me, what I wanted to do. So here we are today. So you did choose Providence College and, to, and the hockey route. So many are thankful that you did. So you are coaching in Providence, a lot of success. You know, when you go back and look at that time, your team goes to the Frozen Four, you hire Rick Pitino, they go to the Final Four. What was that time at Providence like? Well, first of all, um, you know, Providence wasn't, uh, you know, right in my mind initially. Uh, when I got out of high school, I was very young. I, I got out of, uh, I graduated high school at the age of 16, and uh, Brown University wanted me to go to prep school. I decided to do that. I went to uh, uh, Bridgeton Academy, and my roommate was a gentleman named, a uh, young man named Brad Cliff, who was also there as a uh, sort of postgraduate. He was a baseball player, and he was a catcher, but you know he was a real prime prospect at that time. And all I heard from him is, uh, what am I doing in school? I think I'm going to sign. And uh, academically, I had done you know, fairly well, and I was really just taking courses because they thought I was maybe young to go to college. Uh, and Jim Fullerton, the uh, Brown University that coach at that uh, time, had encouraged me to go a year. Uh, so Brad left after two days. Uh, two days? Uh, after the fourth day, I called uh, the coach of Providence College, Tom Eccleston, and said, uh, the, the, that is the hockey coach. Do you s still have an opening for that scholarship for me to come to Providence? So after four days of prep school, I was at Providence College, <laughs> and uh, that's how it all started. I went in at 20 and, excuse me, at 16 and got out at 20. Uh, so that was, uh, that was my history and how Providence College and uh, played two sports there, and, uh, uh, you know, it is what it is today. So were you a math teacher and then you got the, went back to coaching? How did that happen? Well, what happened was is that I played a year after I graduated. I played in the uh, Canadian Provincial League of Baseball in Tedford Mines in Quebec. And then what happened was is the Providence College asked me to go back if I wanted to coach. And uh, I was still thinking, well, should I try baseball a little more? Uh, so they asked me to go back and be the freshman coach for hockey and baseball. I couldn't have lived on that, so I ended up teaching at a local high school that had double sessions. So they started school at 7, and I was out by 12, so it didn't interfere with practice or both sports. So uh, I did that at Providence for four years, but while I was doing that, I also did go back to the Cape League, and I managed in the Cape League and had some great players. So I had Bobby Valentine, and who we still remain great friends, and... Uh, that was the year when Bobby Valentine was there and Thurman Munson was down there and actually they went four and five in the draft. Uh, Thurman went to the Yankees and uh, Bobby went to the, to the Mets. What were they like then? Well, they were great ball players. I mean, Bobby was the, one of the youngest in the league at that time. He was coming out of Stanford High School. He was, he was the youngest player and Thurman came from Kent State. So he was playing like I did, you know, in between his college years. But you had a lot of great ball players. You go to the history of the Cape League, and it's just amazing how many have gone through that league and had success in, in Major League Baseball. So getting back, I taught for four years. 
while I was doing both. In those days in college, freshmen couldn't play, so I had my own team. And the uh, head coach of the hockey team at that time was Elio Tapazzini, who actually was with the Providence Reds as a player uh, when I was growing up. Uh, his brother Jerry played for the Bruins. Uh, and then uh, when Azelio decided to retire, that's when I took over the head coaching job at Providence and tried baseball, doing it for another year, but it was too much. And then we built the rink, and I, and I coached there for, I don't know, some 13, 14 years, and then was asked to be athletic director. So I did both for a year, and that's when we brought Rick in, history as, as it is. What made you think Rick Pitino was going to be a good coach. He's a young coach. What did you see in him? Why did you want to hire him? Well, uh, I was thrown into the basketball world. And at that given time, Providence basketball was, you know, extremely big. I mean, uh, players like Lenny Wilkins and Johnny Egan at that time. And Joe Mullaney was the original coach there, who actually coached for the Lakers. That was the prime sport. Hockey was second. Uh, and there was a lot of question you know, what's a hockey guy going to do with a basketball program? Uh, so, you know, I knew a little bit about the Big East. Uh, the first person I tried to go after was John Thompson because uh, John was a year behind me at Providence and he was coaching uh, Georgetown and we spoke. Uh, we were actually lockers next to each other. That, you know, here he is, 6, 10, 11, and <laughs> I'm 5, 9. Uh, and we remain friends uh, to this day. So, you know, you just try and look and see who is the best out there. And I had heard of Rick only f uh, because of being in the, in the Big East when it started. And uh, Rick has, was an assistant coach at Hawaii and assistant coach at Syracuse at that time. And for different reasons, he didn't get a head coach, but uh, went to Boston University. And, and, of course, with my involvement with hockey, the athletic director was very high on him, John Simpson. And then I got a call from Hubie Brown, who was the coach of the Knicks at that time. And Rick was the assistant coach at the Knicks. And he says, I really think you ought to, you know, talk to him. And I was very impressed with him. There's no question in the conversation he could recruit. And in my opinion, you know, from what I heard about as a coach, and I was concerned that why he would want to come to Providence, because where we were at that given time, he came and, uh, you know, he put an all-star staff together when you really think of the coaches there. And... Uh, we had Jeff Van Gundy as an assistant coach, Stu Jackson. Uh, so you knew, that, you know, there was a great chance of success. And Herb Sindek, and that was the year of the first three-pointer in college. And Billy Donovan yeah. was a senior at that time. So uh, that was, a, you know, a great year for Providence College. You know, the Final Four and hockey, the Final Four and basketball, and a lot of success in other sports we had. Uh, I think at that year, too, we had the winner of the uh, marathon here in New York as far as track. So it was a big year, and one thing led to another. And uh, during the same year, uh, John McMullen uh, got me to consider going to the Devils. And Rick, a month after I left, uh, he got the call from the Knicks. So he went to the Knicks, so we both left the same year. And it, uh, history is, uh, is something that you... You never even think about it until you're involved in a discussion like this. So you go to the Devils, and what was maybe the most important thing you did when you first got there? Well, I think that uh, the most important thing uh, was uh, establishing a, a relationship with John McMullen. It was tested in my first year, uh, if you recall. I, I think everybody recalls around Easter time 
uh, an incident where the year or two before uh, the Devils were called Mickey Mouse and then we had a situation with a coach and a referee and we challenged the league and I said to Dr. McMullen, you know, uh, you'd call Mickey Mouse, this is an opportunity to put a stamp and uh, wrongdoing is happening right here. Uh, our coach did not do what he's being accused of, so let's get an injunction, maybe steer the pot a little uh, and show that the, uh, you know, the devils are for real. So I think that that was where Dr. McMullen and I became, uh, I think, one. In your time with the Devils, you then became part of the business side when it became Yankees, Nets, Devils, and it really sort of took you back to your experiences with baseball and basketball. I mean, even being around then, I didn't really know when you were in charge of all those things that you had that much experience with it. What was your relationship like with George Steinbrenner? How did that all influence what you did over the years with the Devils? Well, uh, first of all, when uh, I was with Dr. Mullen, uh, his dream was to build a new facility, and that facility was going to be built in Hoboken. It was pretty much al uh, along the way. Uh, the building, uh, a lot of people don't know, was going to go into a partnership with uh, Madison Square Garden, Jim Dolan, uh, uh, I should say Chuck Dolan, Jim's dad, and John McMullen uh, were very close as far as friends and business people. And uh, Madison Square Garden was going to uh, build a facility where John McMullen was going to run it. It was going to be built over the train center, similar to uh, what happened, had just happened in Boston uh, for the, Boston, the old Boston Garden. Uh, and there was a commitment from the governor to do that. And then what happened, uh, if we, prior to that, Yankee Nets was formed where uh, the Yankees um, and the Nets went together uh, and they had, you know, that was their dream uh, to form the Yes Network. Um, and Ray Chambers, uh, who was part of that, wanted to build an arena in Newark. The governor, you know, backpedaled with John McMullen uh, where the commitment was to build it. And he said, I, you know, I'm going to sell the team. So when that was the word that he couldn't build in Hoboken, Yankee Nets, at that given time, uh, George Steinbrenner and Ray Chambers and another gentleman who's passed, uh, uh, Lewis Katz, uh, went to Dr. McMullen, um, and Dr. McMullen came to me, and so I was the person who sold the team to Yankee Nets. And at that given time, uh, Dr. McMullen said that I was basically not on the contract so I could do anything I wanted. And George Steinbrenner personally came to me, who I had uh, never really known other than certainly the success that the Yankees had. I was, I was a Yankee fan, so I knew a lot about them and uh, certainly followed them. And I was very impressed with him with the first meeting and what he thought, because uh, I actually told him that I, he should not you know, want me to come back. I, he should go out and hire someone else because uh, they had a great uh, they had a great staff uh, everything was good but if the people who were working there couldn't hear the voice that they heard before and doing things the way I was allowed to do them with John McMullen it wasn't fair to them and they would be confused so if he wanted to change things or wanted to operate a little different he should get somebody new to come in they would adjust to that uh, better than me adjusting to a change, uh, which I probably couldn't do. And uh, I think he liked that. Uh, so we got together and he, he felt very strongly 
on me going there. Uh, and the, your original question with the relationship that I had uh, with him was impeccable. And uh, to this day, uh, the relationship with the Steinbrenner family, I can't say enough about. During those years there, uh, we spent a lot of time together. And, you know, I hear a lot of stories about uh, George Steinbrenner. But I'll tell you what, uh, philanthropically, he uh, liked to do things quietly without people knowing. And every time I went to Tampa Bay, uh, he would pick me up either for breakfast or lunch, and we'd go. Uh, and I'm going to tell a story that a lot of people would uh, never have heard unless they hear it from me. Uh, he always wore the devil ring when he came to get me. I never said, you've got the devil ring on. He never said, do you see the devil ring on me? It was just like it, it was there. Uh, but uh, he, he was special. He and John McMullen would... Uh, two unique individuals. Uh, you never had to worry about what they were thinking. You never had to leave a meeting saying, I wonder if there was something else on their mind. <laughs> because you got it straight. And if you didn't have thick skin, uh, you know, it was uh, going to be different. But uh, there was a trust. Uh, there was a belief. You know, that's how I got involved with the Nets. He, he called me up one day and said, uh, I'd like to have lunch. And I had lunch with him and Ray Chambers and Lewis Katz, and they said, we'd like you to take the Nets over while you've got the Devils. And I says, I really don't you know, think that that's the right thing, nor do I feel good about it. I says, because you have somebody named Rob Thorne, who I have a tremendous respect and relationship. And, uh, and then he said, we'd like you to take over the organization, Rod be general manager. So I said, well, I'd like to talk to Rod first. And I went to Rod, and, uh, uh, and I said, listen, they'd like me to do this. And he said, I'd love it. He says, I, you know, I have to deal with you. <laughs> he says, and you can deal with the owners. <laughs> uh, but to this day, Rod and I are great friends, and we had great success and great times together. And uh, When you really look back at what these gentlemen did and uh, what uh, Mr. Steinbrenner did in forming Yankee Nets and where the Yes Network is today and in one given year, we win the Stanley Cup, uh, win the World Series, and the Nets go to the finals. And yes, becomes an empire. Um, you know, what more and what better experience could you have and work with better and stronger people? Okay, hard-hitting question. Did you really turn down a role on The Sopranos when they offered it to you? <laughs> <laughs> That's an interesting one. Uh, we had a gentleman that I worked for for a number of years, a great friend of mine named Chris Madrinsky, who uh, prior to working for the Devils had worked uh, for one of the national television. And uh, I don't know what discussion, we were at lunch one day, and the Sopranos came up as a topic. I, I have no idea what the reasons were. And I said to Chris, you know what, it would be fun to you know, sit as an extra and just see what really goes on. So uh, I really didn't follow them, but you know, at that time they were, they were really at, at the forefront and certainly being in New Jersey and they had all their settings in different places. And so little did I know he was gonna go and try and do something. So he said to me, he said, uh, uh, maybe two or three weeks later, he says, such and such a date, uh, you know, I think, you know, looks like we're not playing, it's open, whatever, he says, I, you're going to go and, you know, be an extra, you know, people won't even know you're there, but you'll go through the experience you want to go through. And so I, with a smile on my face, said, that should be fun. So we get about two days closer to it. He says to me, uh, 
uh, here, here's where you're going to go. And so they said, you're going to go to Bada Bing, Bada Bang. <laughs> so I said, what? What is that? So I found out. So obviously, <laughs> I did not go. And that was my uh, extra uh, that, that never happened. That, that, that would have been the last thing in the world after I knew where this setting was. So that's the story behind The Sopranos. <laughs> that's funny. They couldn't put you like in a red check tablecloth. Well, I think that was a test, to tell you the truth. <laughs> no, I, I don't know. And then after that, there was a couple of other you know, going to yard thing. But I, I said, no, I, uh, my, my little suggestion is forget it. That's great. Let's talk a little bit about the players of today and your role today. Do you still travel all the time to all the games? What, what, what's a typical day like for you? Well, I, I think that uh, everybody's day is different. I'm an early riser. How um, early? 5.30. You try and get to bed reasonable times, but I think it's important to get rest. Uh, you know, I still try and travel as much as I can. I believe in hands-on. Uh, I don't know any other way of doing it. I believe in having the best and the strongest people around you. I think that you want to get people who are better than you in a lot of different areas uh, and and work with them and challenge yourself each and every day and try and be a challenge to them. But that's, I don't know any other way of putting it. That reminds me, I wanted to ask you one thing about being ahead of your time, for sure with the Soviet players. And the question really is, why were you, you think, ahead of the curve in, in wanting to bring the, the players from Russia over? Well, I think what happened there was uh, maybe I was uh, naive to the world and to the NHL, uh, and I was just a hockey person. Uh, when I went to the Devils, you look at the reserve list, and they had, uh, that is, uh, Dr. McMullen had the vision to draft a Soviet player. So I looked at that, and I said, why not? And, uh, uh, and I remember the headlines that, you know, uh, the Russians will never play, and they'll never play on my team, and so forth, not from the Devils, and how difficult it was. And it just goes to show you how far the world has come, which is great, and that players play in the National Hockey League, you don't really know where they're from because the names are so similar, and you don't think about what the country is. Uh, you don't look at it that way. It's a worldly game. Uh, I think it's helped everything in the world that we could ask for. But I might have been in the, in the forefront, uh, but there were a lot of uh, very intelligent, uh, very supportive people who spent a lot of time uh, to allow this to happen. Is there anything, last thing, that you haven't done that you, that you still want to do? Yeah, winning the next game. That's, that's the most important thing, uh, the, next, the next challenge. Simple yeah. request. That's all. Thank you so much for doing this. I wouldn't do this if it wasn't you, Debbie, because this is not part of it, and I heard that you had asked to do it, and I appreciate the time we spent in New Jersey and, you know, the headaches I gave you. <laughs> or the headaches I gave you. Thank you so much. That's Lou Lamarillo, president of Hockey Operations with the New York Islanders, and you talk about the places he's been and the people that he's met. What an incredible story. So great to chat with him. Could have gone all day. Here's our friendly reminder. You can subscribe to the NHL Executive Suite on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your shows. So until next time, I'm Deb Placey in the NHL Executive Suite.